The Latter-day Lives podcast is not owned or operated by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Any opinions expressed or implied in this recording are solely those of the host and guests and not of any specific organization, unless otherwise stated. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode number 67 of the Latter-day Lives podcast. My name is Sean Rapier. I am the host of the show, and thank you for joining us again this week. Before we get into the conversation this week, I got an interesting email, and I thought I'd follow up on it here. Uh, One of our listeners reached out to me asking if uh, I was available to entertain at Christmas parties this year. And I never really thought about mentioning it on the show, but obviously we've talked a lot about how I'm a comedian, and since I don't normally do advertisements, maybe I thought I'd advertise for myself. If you are looking for entertainment this year for a company party or a corporate event of any kind, something for the holidays, this is a lot of what I do. And uh, I'm already somewhat booked up for December, but still have some open days. If you're interested in booking me as a comedian, and I can share with you some examples of what we do. It's an audience participation comedy and improv show. You can reach out to me through the show here, uh, Sean at LatterdayLives.com. That's S-H-A-W-N at LatterdayLives.com. Or just reach out to me on Instagram or on Facebook. I would love to come and work with your company. feels really awkward pitching something for myself. The show is really all about my guests. So, But if you are interested, please feel free to reach out to me and I can tell you how we could set that up. Okay, on to the show this week. Uh, I'm going to give a disclaimer at the beginning of the show that we talk about some very heavy things. Obviously, being a church-focused show, it's nothing inappropriate, but it is the true life of my guest. Carrie Fryer has the most incredible story, but it is a story of addiction and ultimately recovery and peace. And uh, we do... We don't go into any heavy details of the addiction, but we do talk about some uh, pretty pretty grown-up stuff. So it's one that we recommend a little bit of caution with uh, the age of your listeners, and her story is just incredible. Um, I heard her speak at a state conference, and immediately a bunch of people reached out to me saying, you got to have her on the show, and I just love Carrie. I know her family very well, and she comes from an amazing family. And you are going to absolutely love her story. And this week in my Latter-day life, I'll tell you what changed kind of the way that I view addiction. That's all coming up. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's conversation. And today in the Latter-day Live studio, I have a guest who uh, about two months ago or so, I was sitting in a uh, stake conference and a speaker stood up and spoke and so blew me away, as well as the rest of the audience, that immediately I got at least five texts, emails, whatnot, saying, you have to have her on the show. And it is my pleasure to have her here today. Carrie Fryer, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. I'm humbled to be here. This is awesome. Thank you. No, we're so <laughs> grateful to have you. Your story in Sacramento, or in, um, not Sacramento, in State Conference, State Conference, absolutely blew me away. Now, uh, I don't know Carrie super well, but I know your family. Your family 
your family is yes. a little bit legendary in our area. <laughs> in fact, right across the street, there's a park named after your family, yes. Yes. Friar Park. So why don't we go back a little bit uh, and talk about your family before we get into your own story? Perfect. So yeah, you're right. My family roots run very deep in Linden. Yeah. Um, yeah, the Friars have been around here forever. So born and raised here. Yeah. Uh, my father's home is just up the street. Yep. Um, and that house still stands today. Mm-hmm. And then our home is just down the street. My mother grew up down Locust Avenue, just yeah. in Pleasant Grove. You're all right here so between Linden and Pleasant Grove. We've been here our whole lives. Yeah. Tell uh, How many siblings do you have? I am the youngest of five. So I have two older sisters yeah. and then two older brothers. Yep. So I'm the baby. <laughs> That's great. And you've got a great family. I, yes. I know pretty much all of yes. all of your family. I've gotten to, in fact, I got to serve with Colby for a while. Yeah, they're good and, guys. Oh, such yeah. good people. Good yes. family. So you were raised in the church. Raised in the church. Yeah. Yes. You're, again, your family's pretty iconic, not only in our <laughs> ward, but throughout, uh, throughout Linden and Pleasant Grove. Yes. So what were you like as a kid? Um, I would say I was pretty shy. Yeah? Very quiet, very reserved. Yeah? Yeah. Shy kid. Yeah. How did that, uh, how did that affect you and your family? Were you, you were not the one jumping up and getting all the attention? <laughs> well, I'm a lot, we're all pretty spread out yeah, in age. Yeah, that's true. So, I mean, in a way it was kind of like being an only child. Mm. My brothers were older doing their own thing and yeah. so I was, I was pretty much a homebody. Growing up, did you embrace the church? Was the church important to you? Uh, I mean, I know it was to your family. Yeah. Yeah. Um, teenage years, not so much. Yeah. Start drifting away. Yeah. But as a kid, when it was routine, that's what we did. You went sure. to church, you participated. Yeah. And tell us a little bit about your grandma. Grandma. Which yeah. one? <laughs> about your grandma Fryer. <laughs> grandma Fryer. Grandma Ruby. Yeah. Oh, she was, she was a sweetheart. Very, yeah. She was very soft-spoken as well. Very mm-hmm. quiet. I remember yeah. she giggled a lot. Very strong. Very strong, yeah. Very strong. Yeah, yeah. big, strong family. Yeah. Big, uh, big lineage. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, so you weren't that into the church, maybe as a teenager. Right. And I don't know your whole story, so I'm going right. to kind of let it uh, let it come out. But at some <laughs> point, um, I mean, one of the big turning points in your life is that at some point, uh, narcotics came into your life. Yeah, they came in in a big way. Yeah. So yeah. was that when you were younger? Uh, yeah, later teenage years. Yeah. How does that happen? I mean, I think that, you know, I'm a parent of teenagers, and uh, I think a lot of parents, it's our fear, you know, we have that concern. Tell me how drugs came into your life. You know, I think just for me being kind of a social misfit. Yeah. I mean, awkwardness, shyness, you know, for me, it was a way to cope and escape, Mm. kind of become somebody else. Yeah. I mean, not knowing who I was, the insecurities. Yeah. So, I mean, drugs came in and all of a sudden it's like, oh, okay. Was little, it soothing? little courage, yeah. Was it kind of soothing to you? Soothing. It was just a total coping mechani- yeah. mechanism and just, yeah. Was it part of your social circle? Oh, absolutely. I mean, or were you on your own doing no, drugs? No, absolutely. It was a huge social circle. Yeah. Do you remember the first time you did drugs? Uh-huh. I think I was 13 and a half, maybe 14. Wow. Really? Yeah. That young? That young. What drug did it start with? Uh, marijuana. Yeah. Yep. And there, beer. <laughs> there's there's a there's a big conversation now about, you know, about marijuana being a gateway drug and yeah. and those types of things. Yeah. Do you, did you see a lot of your friends progress? I, I don't know if progress is the right word, but digress it fits. progress. It fits. From marijuana into other drugs. Um yes and no. Yeah. Yes and some no. Some just stuck with marijuana. Yeah, some of yeah. 
But you were drinking too? Drinking, pills, yeah. anything in the medi- medicine cabinet that said, you know, may cause drowsiness. Oh, really? Bingo, that's what I want. So you may were all about... tiredness, just anything for just a change in the mm. way you're thinking and feeling. And and this this was all, I mean, were you into all these things at 14? Or I would was say it, did it kind 14, of, it, it slowly progressed. Yeah. It slowly progressed. Yeah. Was your family aware of of your use? Probably not to the extent that I was using. Yeah. I'm sure they knew something was wrong. I mean, how can you not? Yeah. You know. How did this affect your grades in school? <sighs> Horrible. I dropped out of col- I dropped out of high school. Yeah. Dropped out. How Just, old were you when you dropped out? I was in my senior year. Yeah. Senior year. Wow. What a difficult time. Yeah. And difficult for your family to kind of grapple oh, with, yeah. right? Yeah. Like trying to for figure sure. out what yeah. is going on. Lack of control. <laughs> yeah. <I'm laughs> what do we sure. do with this? What do we do with her? Were you, did you have friends who were members of the church at the time who were reaching out to so you? I did. So I had my using friends and I had my church friends. Yeah. And you kind of kept them separate? Kept them separate. Yeah. yeah. What was the role of uh, leaders in the church when you were going through this stuff? You know, I think that they could see it as well. Yeah. But I think as a leader, you're kind of torn, like, what can I do to help? How do you step in? How do you intervene? Or is it too late? Is the ship already sailed? When you look back at that time, kind of before, let's say before it's full-blown addiction, maybe when you're experimenting and you're going through this difficult time, because I think a lot of, I think a lot of teenagers do. Mm Mm-hmm. Is there anything that you think that could have reached you? Like, do you do you look back at, like, your mm-hmm. family or your friends or uh, maybe a, a leader at church? Do you think there's anything they could have done, or did you need to go down this path? You know, looking back, I needed to go down this path. Mm. I don't think there was anything that they could have done. Yeah. I think it was just written in my stars, so to speak. Mm. I think it was just... You know, I'd always had kind of a, a curious mindset towards drugs. Really? You know, you're always told that, you know, well, it'll change your thinking. And I always thought, well, how can something change my thinking? Those are my thoughts. Nobody can change my thoughts. Hmm. Kind of very curious about it. Just like, oh. I... At any point, were you afraid? Like, I mean, no, were you afraid to take a first pill? or No, a... which was strange because I was so shy and timid and reserved as a child that huh. for me to go full-blown extreme like I did. Yeah. It sounds like it totally ramped bananas. up very quickly. It did. How old are you now? I am 36. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, this is this is more than 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, for it to ramp up that quickly, yeah. I mean, that's crazy. How were you How were you getting your drugs? You know, it's, there, it's more available than you go down to the street and buy it, you know? It's, it's, if it, is if it you're looking available? for it, you're going to find it. Yeah. It's, it's there. And you just found the right friend group that... The right friend group. Somebody knows somebody who knows somebody. <laughs> and everybody's able to get a hold of it. And everybody can get it. Did you have any <laughs> frightening moments um, during this time? Any, any like during, um, during let's, let's take just kind of during your high school years. Was there a time at all that, you know, anything happened that, that scared um, you away from this? Away from drugs? Or yeah, just, or scared you to keep using? Me? Yeah. Like no. any, did you ever pass out somewhere or overdose um, at all or? No, not, I mean, high school years, no, no. Yeah. I mean, cocaine had come into the picture probably around 16. 16 um, years old, 16, you started 17. using cocaine. Yeah. 
And I'm sorry that I'm struggling with the right questions to ask, but Carrie. I know. My goodness. At 16 years old, you were using cocaine. Yeah. So you basically, I mean, you really did not have a filter for drugs, no, just I really anything didn't. that could get you high. I really didn't. Did you like the more the more of the speed type stuff, or did you like the stuff you know that what? took the I edge off? I didn't discriminate. I whatever was available, I was willing to try. Wow. <laughs> Were you off? How? I mean, how many days a week would you say by the time you're 17 and dropping out of school? Um, like, how often were you using drugs? Was this every day? Yeah. I mean it. Yeah. 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 Daily. Daily. Yeah, daily. Would you say, do you kind of know when, was there a time when you realized you were an addict? You know, back then, you just think you're invincible, that nothing can stop you. Right. I am so in control of that's this. All, I've that's got all this. teenagers, Nobody right? can tell me what to do. Yeah. Everybody, they're just ridiculous. I got this. Yeah. I got this. When was the first time your family talked to you? About my addiction. About drugs, yeah. So, let's see, I probably was 19. Not till you were 19, it never came up. 1920. I mean, we'd had arguments, but this is the first one that really stuck out to me that was the most impactful. 19 or 20, at least, yeah. So, my parents had had it with me. Your parents were done. Parents were done. They were done with the lies, the stealing, the deceit, just fed up. They'd had it. Yeah. And my mom was packing up all my stuff in my room, like, you're out of here, you're going. I just remember sobbing, and my sister came in, and she's just like, what's wrong? What's going on? And I'm like, I'm a heroin addict, and I don't know what to do. And you were 19. 19 or 20, yeah. How did it start with heroin? That seems to me like, Carrie, that seems like such a bridge. (laughs) I mean, here you are, this sweet, innocent 14-year-old girl who tries pot, and five years later, you're addicted to heroin. Uh, It's crazy how fast it happens. Talk about the heroin culture, because I think that, uh, to our listeners, and maybe I myself, I'm listening going, yeah, but maybe my kid's going to smoke pot. My kid's not going to do heroin. Yeah. Heroin ends lives. <laughs> it does. You know, it how does. did you make that step into heroin? You know, it, it was almost, didn't even think about it. It was just a reaction. Did you have friends who were already doing heroin? I had a group and... of friends. We all kind of got into it at the same time. And yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So for our listeners who... I can't imagine what heroin is like. I've read enough articles and whatnot and have heard that, you know, you can become addicted from go, that the yeah. high is so incredible. And when I see the epidemic that's sweeping our country and the lives that it's ending, yeah. um, how intense is that high from heroin? It's intense. It's better than anything you could possibly imagine. Yeah. It just takes you... And it just takes everything. There's nothing. It's just. You don't have to worry about anything else. It's just, it's, there's nothing else like it. Mm. There's nothing else like it. And it's just, it becomes a love-hate relationship because it's, it becomes everything to you. Were you buying at that time or uh-huh. were you still getting it from no, friends? No, buying, buying. Where were you getting the money to buy drugs? You'd have to steal it. Yeah. I'd have to steal it. It's interesting to me from a gospel point of view, <laughs> how interconnected all of Satan's webs are. Yeah. I mean, you know, you start off with, well, you're going to just do some drugs, which lead to heavier drugs, which leads to now your family is turned against you, so your family must be bad. Right. Now you've got to keep doing those drugs, so now you're stealing, which is something else entirely. Right. 
right. which is hurting people. Yeah. Did you have like a specific regular way that you would steal or was it just whatever you could find? Uh, mom and dad, basically. Bank of, bank of mom and dad. Bank of mom and dad, yeah. 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 I, I see your pain and I think if people are watching <laughs> the video of this, people will see the look on your face when you just said mom and dad and the pain in your face. I can see that even from 20 <laughs> years ago that you're carrying that. And that's kind of the legacy that drugs leave, right? Absolutely. It's heavy. It's heavy. Just a path of destruction. Path of destruction, chaos. So you're 19 years old and now you're doing heroin. Doing heroin every day. Did you, and I really did not know you then, did you physically, there is a heroin look, <laughs> right? They call it heroin chic, joking. Yeah, yeah. But there is a heroin look. Some of those things are um, thinness, picking at yeah. your face maybe, yep. teeth issues. Did you start exhibiting some of those, like if someone were to look at you? Oh, they would say, yeah, she's strung out. She's a junkie for sure. Yeah. Um, weight loss. I mean, less than a hundred pounds, skin and bone, you know, dark circles, oh. uh, the works for you as such a, you know, beautiful young girl. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> it's heartbreaking to imagine. Yeah. It was rough. It was very rough. And, and the withdrawals were. And for your parents yes. to see this. Yes. So at 19, when was your first effort to get clean? I so, mean, I'm sure there were little ones all yeah. along the way. Oh, like, yeah. Oh yeah. I've got to stop. Yeah but that maybe didn't really start to take at all. Right. Were there were there a lot of broken promises to yourself along the way? Oh my gosh, yes. It was an everyday <laughs> broken promise. Oh. <laughs> it's it was a vicious cycle of broken promises for sure. Yeah, I know a lot of people who have been through addiction and they talk about that before they get real help. Right. That they go to bed every night saying I've done it for the last time. Yeah. I'm done now. Yeah, I'm done. New start. Then now we're wake. later we're back to it. <laughs> <laughs> That is terrifying. It is. Um, when did you kind of hit your first big wall where you said, I really need to make some changes? So that first time when I told my sister, my mom, that I was a heroin addict and I needed help. Um, I mean, that's shocking to them. What was the reaction with your sister and your mom? I think complete shock. Yeah. Did they, So they didn't shock. know it was heroin. No. I, I don't know no. why. There's something scarier to me and maybe... It just seems to me like even when you said cocaine, I went, "Ugh, that's terrible." <laughs> Heroin, yeah, I equate with death. I just, I, I can't. It's so terrifying it to is. me, and dirty, and and dark, and it scary. Is. It is. It's a dirty tar. <laughs> how literally. did you? How, yeah, quite literally, a dirty tar. How how did your? What did your mom say? Uh, they were just in shock. They didn't know what to do, and um, I said, "Well, I want to go to rehab." And a friend of mine had just gone and came out, and he was. He was clean. He was happy. He was, he was good. I want that. I want yeah. that. And so my mom, she was just too upset. She couldn't go. So my sisters, um, Tanya and Jen, they drove me up to LDS Hospital. They had a facility up there that was, they were experimenting with new drugs, which was Suboxone at the time. Mm. It was just very new on the market. And, but unfortunately, I had no insurance. I was at yeah. that age. And off my parents, maybe I was older than 21. 22. It might have been older. Because you were off your it was. It's a blur, but as far as yeah. the ages go. But anyway, it would have been an obscene amount of money to send me there. Yeah. I couldn't afford it. Yeah. So, without good insurance, it's almost impossible. It was I mean, it's 
outrageous. Several hundred to a thousand, thousands of dollars a day. I think it was $2,500 a day to be up there. Yeah, $2,500 a day. that's what it was. Yeah, so you couldn't go. Couldn't go. So I'm in a LDS hospital up there. And at that time, I think my brothers had came up too, and we're sitting up there, and we're just sitting in this waiting room, an emergency room, just, what do we do? Mm. What do we do? And I'm starting to detox now. The drugs are wearing off, and I'm just getting sicker and sicker. And, and at that point, you know that either... A, I can get over this by going to get more dope and be better and continue yeah. this cycle. Or B, go into the unknown, which is I didn't know what to expect. And detox, you know, again, I'm not an expert in this. I've just seen some friends who've been through addiction. Detox is a very medical thing. It's it not imaginary. It's not. it's not in your head. No. And if you detox incorrectly, it's worse than continuing yeah, the, it's... the addiction. What were some of the feelings you had? Is I mean, you must have felt very alone and trapped. You do. You do. I mean, you couldn't go to the hospital. Here you are in a hospital. In a hospital trying to get help. But you can't go into it. rehab. No. And yet you're starting to detox. Starting to go through it. Scary stuff. Very scary. Where did it go from there? Um... Well, we were up there for hours, and then middle of Salt Lake, which was my stomping ground, that's where I would go, so I knew the area, And but I just remember thinking, no, I've got to do this, so mm. my sister stuck to me like glue, and doctors gave us, you know, they just told us it's going to be rough. Wow. It's going to be rough. You're gonna, she's going to have to go cold turkey. Really? So kind of parents took me in and put me under lock and key at the house, and... What was detox like? Oh my gosh, it is... It's hell. That's what I've heard. No other word for it. It's brutal. And because I was so malnourished and underweight, yeah. you know, I was dehydrated that three days into my detoxing, they had to rush me off to emergency again because I had, I had flatline on them. I would go out. Oh, my gosh. My body was just under so much stress. It was just shutting down. It was just shutting down. So you literally flatlined. Yeah. Oh, Carrie. Yeah. I can't imagine, you know, I'm... I'm also picturing it from the point of view of being a parent. <laughs> yeah. You know, seeing your child. This is their baby. Yeah, going through it. Yep. I can't imagine the nights of prayers. Oh, I'm sure. I'm you know? sure. Yeah. Where was, as you're going through this detox, where were you spiritually? Was that oh, a thought at all? or Spiritually dead, yeah. I would say. Did you feel like it was too late for you or did you just feel like it didn't matter? You know, at that first time, it just, I didn't know. It yeah. felt like it was probably too late. Mm. Gotten myself into it, and I could not get myself out. Mm. That's, I think, one of Satan's great tools is convincing you that you're not worth yeah. saving. Right. Absolutely. So did you get through that detox? Got, made it through. Made it yeah. through. But without... It took took a long time. took about seven but, to ten days. But you didn't have all the rest of the support mechanisms at that point right right yeah i nothing. mean now suddenly nothing. you're sober but now what now what exactly now what yeah so you were in your young 20s at young this 20s, point yeah you've gotten through this heroin addiction you're committed to i'm done uh, i'm moving on where did that take you well so i got clean and sober i felt great hey i feel pretty good now i can get up i can actually walk around my bones don't hurt I'm going to go call up my old friends and I'm just going to go hang out. Oh. I'm going to go do my, I'm going to go do what I do. It's the only thing I know how to do. Now you look back at that now in your mid thirties. Do you look back and just want to smack yourself and go, Carrie, you know, that's not going to work. Well, I did, but at the time but I didn't time, know anything else. Course. I didn't you, know anything what else. What else are you going to do? What else would I do? Oh my. So I went back to it. 
Yeah. So how long were you sober before you went back? Not very long. Not even 30 days, I don't think. Not even 30 not days. E- I mean, going through all of that, you'd think, what the heck, but... But I think it speaks it's to a the cycle. insidiousness. And, and the, the hard thing, I think, about about any, really any addiction, but drugs are pernicious in that they have a psychological effect. Right. They have a physical effect. Yes. They have a spiritual effect. Yep. They kind of round things up in such <laughs> a way... So, right, you're suddenly back on it, back into suddenly heroin? Suddenly back into it, yeah, full-blown, ready back, to go. Right back into heroin. Ready to go. Where were you living at this time? Uh, with my parents, and then I had met a guy that was in Linden, grew up with him, and started going out with him, and we went and eloped at 21 and got married in Alan Vegas. <laughs> wow. So was, all this is going on. Was he a user as well? Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 And what could go wrong with, what could go wrong with, with two that? 21-year-old what heroin addicts getting yeah. married in Vegas? Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> so now you're married. So living with him and his parents. Yeah. Yeah. Were you working at the time? No, he was. And yeah. then I worked with him for a little while, but yeah. addiction was too strong. Yeah. So, so keep going with keep the story. Keep going with where, that. Where, what so happened? in order to support an addiction, I start stealing from my parents again. Uh, this time my parents couldn't take it. They pressed charges. So I was facing, I was, I took their checks. Oh, so I yeah. was facing 21 counts of forgery, which are felony twos. Which is quite a bit deeper than quite just a bit stealing deeper. stuff yeah, and pawning stealing, it. Yeah, it was. Because suddenly it's forgery. It's for, it's big deal. Yeah, big this deal. is a big deal. So my parents pressed charges. When your parents pressed charges, did you understand oh, or yeah. was it I didn't blame resentment? Them at all. No, no, there you was understood. no resentment whatsoever. Yeah, that made like, sense. I, I had this coming. It's all, yes. Yeah, yes. I get it. This is good. This is fine. It's amazing when you can look back with soberness now. Yeah. How would I possibly get away with writing a bunch of bad checks? Only a drug addled mastermind. Only a drug addled brain yeah, would think. Of course, this is yes, such a good I'm idea. Gonna, I'm going to get away with this. This is totally perfect. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, I'm a mastermind. <laughs> yeah. So they press charges, but yeah, you're still charges, using. Still using. Um, still married. Still married. Yeah. Still married. Um, but when they did press charges, um, talking with attorneys, figuring out, okay, I'm facing a lot of time here. Yeah. I mean, 1 to 15 on 15 counts, that's, mm. that's a long time. So through my grace, grace of my parents and, you know, family, we got in, I was able to get into drug court. Oh, okay. Which was a big deal back then because they were only accepting. Tell us what pe- drug court is. So I, drug court I, I is a system is. In, the, in the court system, a Utah state court system that deals strictly with drug addicts and drug crimes. Mm. So... And back then, now they're a little more, they'll let you in if you've got theft charges that are related to drugs. If it's drug related, they're going to let you in. Now, in my case, it was kind of new for them because I had no drug charges to go with my forgery charges. Okay. So you had never picked up a drug charge all the way along. You were very good at your drug use. Supposedly, yeah. Yeah. Holy cow. I mean, to to be an addict for that long and not to have gotten picked up on petty drug charges of some kind. That's phenomenal, right? It's amazing. (laughs) That's kind of amazing. But it almost... It almost backfired against you. It caught up, yeah. You know, not having those charges. So you go to drug court. Go to drug court, got in. I did that and I did it successfully. You know, so I got clean and sober there. And this time I was able to get a few tools. Okay. I was forced to do UAs. I was forced to go to treatment. What's a UA? Uh, Urinalysis. Okay. I was taking drug tests three times a week and getting treatment. Yeah. So it was a good thing. 
So you're getting treated. You're on your. Getting you're on your way. On my it's, way. It's interesting to me too that it's your parents that press charges, right? And then we're immediately there to be your support. I know, and to see I know. you through. So it. writing letters to the judges saying she needs record, she needs something. Wow. I know. They're Gosh, amazing. Your parents They're are amazing so awesome. people. They are amazing. People. I don't know how they do it. <laughs> no, they are. Uh, yeah, I don't either because they are amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So. So I did that, and through drug court, I started doing AA, and. Yeah. It's where I found the LDS 12-step. Yeah. And started doing that and got really involved in that. And Tell us about the LDS 12-step program. That's a great program. It really yeah. is. So it's based on the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. Yeah. Was it scary to go to the first one? It was just, unex- you didn't know what to expect. Yeah. Didn't know what to expect. Yeah. I've gotten to sit through a few of the um, LDS 12-step meetings. Yeah. I like to call it the house of the broken. It is. Yeah, Totally. Like it's that. a it's a wonderful <laughs> place where a bunch of broken souls go, and yeah. you're allowed to be broken. Yeah. At church, I think we sometimes feel like I got to keep it all together. Yes. I've got to keep up this presence. <laughs> and you walk into a twelve step meeting, and it's, yeah, here's me. Here I am. Here <laughs> this I is am. It. It's and and I've always recommended that you know whether or not you have an addiction, someone you know does whatever, go to yeah. a twelve step meeting at least once. Yeah. And sit through it because you will see the atonement in a way you never have. Absolutely. But that's a side I note. So, that. Yeah. So you're going to these 12-step meetings. Going to the 12-step meetings. meetings. There was no jail time? Uh, no, surprisingly, no. At this point? Okay. No jail time. All right. Yeah. So, so you're on the path. I'm Carrie, on the path. Is, I was on the we're path. We're ready for a good ending now. Well, but... hold your horses. <laughs> this <laughs> Not is, so this fast. story goes on for years. <laughs> Not so fast. So? Do that. Um, I was doing good in it. Yeah. But obviously I wasn't solid in it. Mm. Um, I ended up getting in a bad car accident. I think I had mm. close to 18 months clean, sober, Yeah, you know, working it. And, and you kind of feel like after 18 months, you go... I thought I had it. I'm done. I thought I'm good. I had it. But looking yeah. back, I could see the grandiosity in my thinking. Mm. Thinking, oh, I got this, just very... Yeah. Very, I don't want to say immature, but just... Yeah, kind of wishful thinking. Wishful magical thinking. thinking Imagine, yeah, yeah, magical thinking, yes. I've got this. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And I mean, granted, I was working the steps and things like that, but a little too grandiose. Yeah. A little too grandiose. Sure. So uh, you get into this car accident. Got into a car accident, had to have major surgery on my knee. So were you prescribed? Prescribed, yep. Opioids. And there it went. Was the, when you started taking the the prescribed painkillers, did it bring back some of the feelings of the heroin and the other drugs? As soon as I got hurt and they said surgery. A little spark went off in my mind, and I had relapsed already. Wow. I knew wow. it was coming. I knew it was coming, and it's like, okay. Here but we go. But now I have an excuse. Oh, hey, it's legal. <laughs> I'm only doing what I'm, the doctor wants me yes, to do. Yes, this is doctor prescribed. This yes. Is, yeah. So you started taking the painkillers yep. for your knee. Yep. And then when did that lead back into harder drugs? Um, so I was actually going to college at the time. I'd gotten into Utah Valley. It was Utah Valley College at the time. It wasn't a university. Yeah, sure. Decided I wanted to go back to school. So I was doing good. And then my mom said, if you're going to, if you're going to drive to school, because I was still living with them, she said, you can't take a pain pill. Mm. And I mean, granted, I still was in pain, but... Yeah. But you wanted a pill, wanted, too. Yeah, I wanted a pill. So I'd be like, no, I don't need one. I know where to go get on myself. So I could still have somewhat freedom of getting wow. to and fro and... I'll yeah. just medicate myself. Were you lying to yourself thinking, oh. <laughs> I've got this, I'll just have this and yeah. still be clean? Yeah. 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 It's, it's so it's easy to do. It's a vicious it's cycle. It's so easy to do. 
And then all of a sudden, do you remember the time you went back to heroin then after that? It was very soon after the very that. First I think it was time. Oxycontins and then yeah. back to the heroin. It's just cheaper and it was more easy. It was just easier to get. It's cheaper to get heroin than it is to get the actual pain pills. Yeah. Oh, way cheaper. Yeah. That is just so amazing. And to me, you know, I walk through this bizarre bliss of, I live in Linden, Utah. I know, right? This Good old quiet Linden. little town <laughs> that nothing ever happens. Right. And yet there's obviously there. heroin all around us. Yeah. And so you're, suddenly you're going to school, but you're back, you're back on drugs. Yep. Did your family and friends know this or were you hiding it? No, again? I was hiding it at that time. Yeah. I was hiding yeah. it. Yeah. Were you still going to meetings and things? Um, no, I kind of dropped the ball on that too. Yeah, I think that the the old scripture of no man can serve two masters. Right. Eventually, you feel uncomfortable <laughs> in one or the other. Right. Right. Absolutely. So, where does this take you from there? That hmm. takes me just back to a being a full blown junkie. Yeah. Were you well, still married at this time? So, when I was going through drug court, kind of a self realization that this is just horrible. Yeah. What, what am I doing? Yeah. Uh, what am I doing? Why are we married? This yeah. is stupid. Yeah. So married at 21, divorced at 22. <laughs> yeah. It happens. It happens. So. It does happen. Yeah. So now you're back, you're single, single and you're back to being back, a full junkie. Back to doing what I knew. I mean, I hate to use that word. No, it's, that's, it's what it was. Descriptive what of I what was. it was at the yeah, time. It's what oh, I was. gosh, Carrie, this is the hardest interview I have ever done. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, I'm so sorry. for My heart is just so broken for you because I'm, I'm looking at you and I'm going, no, Carrie, please don't. And I know it turns out well right now, right, but... Right. Anyway, so you're back to full-on using. Where were you living? Um, gosh, after that time, I went up into Salt Lake. Okay. Went up into Salt Lake. Yeah, and Salt Just, Lake has a big culture of drugs. Huge, huge. I mean, not the Utah County obviously doesn't because right, it clearly it does. Right, it does, but Salt Lake's but definitely But downtown Salt Lake yeah. is, we have a big drug problem up we there. Do. Yeah, so you're living in Salt living Lake. Living in Salt Lake. Were you working? Of- no, of course not. No, it wasn't no. working. Um, yeah, found a basically a shooting gallery to live in and a crack house. And I have never heard that phrase, but what a sad yeah a shooting gallery. Yeah, yeah. tell us what the what those places are like. So you walk in and your normal is to see spoons and needles and heroin and coke and tin foil and a plethora of just whatever you want, and they're everywhere. You got people passed out. You've got people in and out all the time and i just took up residency and in a spot you just find your spot you just find your spot you find your people and you oh carrie i'm I'm trying to imagine (laughs) heavenly father looking down on this and seeing his children and parents and seeing you and how vibrant you are and how just picturing you in a place like that it's... it's so heartbreaking yeah. I don't know why I'm so emotional about it. <laughs> you know, I've seen it on television, but I always figured that was just crazy drama. Yeah. That there aren't really places like that. Oh, there's places. And it's just abandoned buildings and... No, this was actually a home. Yeah. Um, yeah, luckily I never took up residency in an abandoned building. Yeah. Didn't do that. Um, but in a home and there are just, just people strewn yeah. about. Yeah. And then how were you getting the drugs? Just through the um, people there or did you go out and get them? Through people there or... There was some selling at the time, so at the time I would, you know, built up a reputation that I was a, a trustworthy drug addict, that they could front me a certain amount of drugs and I would sell them and be able to support my habit. So you were dealing. So started dealing, yes. You started dealing. Started dealing. You can just almost see this 
from <laughs> from the first time you started, right? Like that first step of that path, you can see this this end. How just bad it is. Yeah. So now you're dealing drugs. Yeah. You're living in this drug living house. A, yeah, living in a squalor. Shooting galleries <laughs> in squalor. Yeah, just in filth. I yeah. mean, and you probably just didn't care a lot. I'm didn't guessing. Didn't care. You know what? I was in my addiction, and hey, I had my supply. I was good. People mm. trusted me. I was trustworthy that they would so trust were, me with mass amounts of drugs, and I this was great. You were like the exemplar <laughs> I drug was the ex- yes, of user. <laughs> so of the of the drug users, you were the the example. Well, there's something to be said for that, I guess. Uh, yeah, I don't know what, but yeah. So you're dealing, and obviously something changes at some point. What finally got so, you I out mean, of that? In and out of jails. I mean, you get caught at this time. I am picking up. Charges for possession, charges up for attempt to distribute, picking up charges, going to jail. And at this point, I figured this was my lifestyle. This mm. going to jail, detoxing, or this was it. So had you kind of given up on the idea that you'd ever be clean oh, for yeah, life? That's, yeah, I figured. It's just, I'm, I, yeah. I'm in and out of jail and that's life. Yeah, but I came to the realization that this is it. And was, I made peace with that. Was jail scary? No. 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 It, after, I mean, the first time going in, yes, it's like, hey, what have I done? Now what have I gotten myself into? Yeah. But after a while, it became home. And you were getting picked up for dealing? Um, I had a couple attempt to distribute charges. A lot of yeah. them were just possession charges. Yeah. Um, a lot of thefts, retail thefts were huge. I'd so you, up and, you were stealing from stores. Stores. At this time, I'd step. I wasn't going to steal from family or friends anymore. Yeah. My it gosh, It was going to be just corporations. <laughs> yeah. So what would you do? You'd, you'd steal, and then what, how would you turn that into cash? Or would you trade uh, you goods could barter, for drugs? Yeah, trade, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. What were some of the like things you would steal? My items? Yeah, what would, did, you have a, <laughs> did you have a specific... I guess this is public record. I guess I guess it is. I was going to say a specific target, but I don't mean target the stores. But like, Well, did, that was one too, but... <laughs> was there a specific place that... Um, so back then, this was before electronics were spider-wrapped. I'm giving away all my secrets now. At... At department stores. Yeah. So big. The electronic reps. Big televisions, yeah. computers, playstations. You were able to steal that kind we of stuff. We would just load a card up and walk it right out. Really? Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's... Carrie, this is such a world I don't know that. <laughs> I I'm, know. It's crazy to even I'm think about it, but. Fascinated by it. Yeah. So you keep getting picked up. So you got picked up for shoplifting, shoplifting sometimes. Yep. You got picked up for, yeah. for using or yeah. for intent to distribute yeah. and whatever. And. And they'd, so these, these are racking up. Oh, racking up big time, yeah. So is each one, the judge threatening you further and further? Um, sometimes it was just, usually, because I was living in Salt Lake, ADC has, they would let me out on your own recognizance. So either they're overbooked, and so I would get booked What's in. ADC? Uh, adult Detention Center. Oh, Salt adult, Lake County yeah. Jail. So County Jail, okay. Yep. And so usually I would get arrested and overbooked. So they just give me a court date and send me on my way. No kidding. So yeah. I did not know that was yeah. happening. There was, I mean, it's it's crowded. It's crowded. But you're not really. I guess the court looks at it. You're not a threat to someone else right. specifically. Right. You're right. really harming yourself right. and the corporations. Right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So. Yeah. So after a while, they just rack up, and then I did end up doing a lot of time in in ADC in Salt Lake County Jail. Yeah. When it all caught up to me, I did end up doing quite a bit of time. How How long were you in county jail? Oh my gosh, in and out. I've probably done at least, I mean, over five years, just yeah. off and on, off and on. Nine wow. months here, 
six months here, three months mm. here, 11 months here one time. And then when you're in and out, you're also living then in the shooting galleries. Yeah, you go where you know. You yeah. go where you know. Did you ever have to spend time on the street, like sleeping on the street? I mean, luckily, no. Or were no. you always able to end I up never, at a house? I mean, being homeless, I never had to sleep on the streets. No, I always yeah. couch surfed or... Figured out somewhere. Yeah. So at some point, I, I know... I did live in a van for a while, though. I don't want to say Chris Farley. I lived in the van down by <laughs> down the by river. The river. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't by a river, but I did live in a van for a while. Yeah. So I guess, yeah. Lived on the streets. Yeah. Oh, Carrie, I <laughs> just cannot believe this. It's such a crazy story. Well, it is. At some point, something breaks here. And yeah, I don't know yeah. exactly when, but when did things finally come to a head? You know, in that lifestyle, it's just you're surrounded I mean, the chaos is just normal. Like I said, walking mm -hmm. into a home that's got needles everywhere and just think this is totally normal. This is how everything is. This is just how it is. Did you see people overdose? Oh, my gosh, yes. I've, it's a, death is just... It's, You've seen people it's inevitable. die. It's inevitable. People are going to die. That is the end. I mean, if you don't, take care, of your, if you don't take care of your addiction, you know, yeah. you never hear about 95-year-old heroin addicts no, dying of don't. natural causes. No. I think I... I Using, like, I think maybe I knew two people that were in their 50s that were still using. Hmm. That's about the oldest people I knew. Oh, gosh. That were living so this what lifestyle. So fin what finally changes? What finally breaks? What what was there? What comes to a head here? Because I know you have some big changes that come in your yeah, life. Yeah, big changes. Um, I think you just get sick and tired of it. Yeah. I'm in my 30s now at that point, and mm. kind of realization hits. Yeah. This is really... Do I really want to keep going? Yeah. Do you want Do to be I in really and out of jail the going. rest of your life? I'm burning bridges everywhere I go. So how did you make this change? Well, I had to get arrested. Yeah. I had to get arrested. Okay. And I'd been on the run for a long time. I'd been on the run from APMP for a little over a year. Hmm. So I was in hiding. So you had a warrant I out. I had a warrant out. They were looking for me pretty hard. What were hard. the charges on the warrant that they would make them want to find you? Gosh, I don't even remember. Yeah. I was on the run from drug court in Salt Lake because I'd gotten a chance to do drug court in Salt Lake as well. Okay. So, I mean, I had charges in Utah County that I had warrants out. So, this is just a Utah culmination County, of... Utah County, Salt Lake County. This is just Between all the warrants, they just It was said, all coming to a head. We're yeah. kind of tired of carry. Yeah. We're a little bit sick of this. We are... Time to make a big change. So, yeah. you go on the run. So, I was on the run. So, you're hiding I was out on the from lamp. the police. <laughs> <laughs> you're such a thug, Carrie. Thug life oh, right thug there. thug life right there. Isn't oh, my gosh. <laughs> And yeah. Um, so when I got arrested, it was, uh, let's see, I was living basically out of a car, not really kind of sure where to go. And I ended up down in Utah County. For some reason, the call of home was calling. Mm. So came down to Utah County, but couldn't bring myself to come knock on my parents' door. And this was around Thanksgiving. When was the last time you had talked to your parents? Mm, let's see. It would have been 2015, 2014. Okay. Wow. At that time. Yeah. I mean, I would disappear for months and months at a time. Yeah. Um, it was around, yeah, it was the day after Thanksgiving. Yeah. And I remember just driving by their house thinking I just couldn't bring myself to go knock on the door. Yeah. To go home. Um, just in a bad spot and ended up getting, was down at the Maverick in Pleasant Grove. Yeah. And all of a sudden the cops came and I was like, oh my gosh, they're here, they're here. So I'm like, let's go, let's go. I was with a, with a friend or using buddy yeah. and I had my little dog Bella with me. Mm. My little ride-or-die dog. And um, so we started leaving Maverick parking lot and pulled into the, what is 7-Eleven now, what was Walker's. Yeah. And just surrounded. 
probably this is right 15, across the street from our house. <laughs> surrounded by cops. Yeah. I mean, they brought out everybody. And they knew it was you. They knew it was me. Yeah, they, they were knew running it after was me. you. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I knew I was caught. And honestly, I felt nothing but relief. Nothing it was a relief re- finally that, okay. Yeah, I'm done running. It's I'm time. done. Time to let it go. It is time. Yeah. It's time. So I, the only thing I was worried about was my dog, Bella. So I was like, you just call my dad, Take call care. somebody to Take come pick up my dog. Yeah. I do not want her going to the pound. So I got a hold of my dad. He came down, I think it was midnight. Mm, picked up my man. dog and they hauled me off to jail. And this time I knew I'd been running for so long. Yeah. They'd had enough. The court system had had enough. AMP, APMP had had enough. Adult probation and parole. Yeah, we're done. Prison was on the table. Okay. It was on the table for yeah. sure. And I fought it for as long as I could. Yeah. You know, no, give me rehab. Give me this. Give me that. I'll do this. But deep down, I knew prison. It was, I was going. Yeah, there was no, there was no getting away from prison. There was anymore. no way. Yeah, there was no way. And whether or not. So what were you sentenced to? Um, so it was a charge clear back from like 2011 that I'd been running from. Wow. It was an old charge that they'd given me chance and chance and chance yeah. on and. Um, so I've got sent, it was attempted to distribute possession mm. and like a theft charge is yeah. what they sent me on. So it was on a, I think it was a one to 15. How long were you sentenced then? So when I got to prison, my matrix was 18 months. Okay. So. Where were you in prison? Utah State Prison. Yeah. Just on the other side of Point of the Mountain there. At the point. How was prison different from jail? Well, I mean, if you're living that lifestyle, prison's a paradise compared to a jail. Probably a paradise compared to the the drug houses. Yeah, I would guess. Yeah, I yeah, mean, it is. I mean, you're getting three. You got medical three meals care. A day. You've got medical care. You've got dental. Yeah, you've got. You Speak, have a yard. Speaking you can go of out broken, in. you know, I mean, I do a lot of firesides. I speak at a lot nice. of firesides. I did a fireside at the prison once. Awesome. The spirit in the prison is unreal. Yeah, like it's it's unbelievable, and uh, very. Talk about contrite people. I yeah. mean, who have really hit rock bottom. Yeah. There were some men who came and hugged me after the fireside <laughs> who you could just see the atonement in their eyes. That's awesome. So how long were you in prison total? So I was in what they call Arno for about three, well, about a month and a half. Yeah. And then they counted me out. Okay. So meaning the prison population is full. They contract with county jails to house their inmates. Mm. So I was sent to Weber County at the Kiesel facility. Gotcha. And that's where I served my time. How long were you in there? Um, Let's see. So I went up, so I got, went to prison in March. Yeah. 2015. Went to Kiesel April 1st of 2015. Yeah. And then got out in 2016. Yeah. So about a year. Where was the spiritual journey in all this? You know... There was little snippets. Yeah. So being led to my prison cell, you know, the first thought that comes to my mind is put on your armor. Hmm. Where'd that come from? You know, where did that come from? I've been living a life of anything like that. Yeah. Even, so I knew what that meant. To remember Needless something to say, kind of I knew, from, I, rem- I, I knew what that meant. Something kind of from primary yeah, almost. Yeah, something, yeah. Put on your armor. Yeah. So like I said, it was just yeah. a snippet. Yeah. I knew what that meant. Did you find yourself praying or getting comfortable with prayer yeah. at some point? Some point, yeah. More yeah. prayers in your heart. Yeah. A lot of prayers in your heart. Yeah. And then, um, I mean, they offer a lot of classes. Yeah. There's church on Sunday you can go to. 
I found it interesting um, when I went to the prison talking to, and my parents worked in the prison for a while, that all the people who volunteer do kind of a quick mini sacrament. They take the sacrament. Oh, really? And I then, didn't know that. <laughs> then they hold church service, I think they call mm-hmm. it, because they yeah. can't pass the sacrament because no. nobody's done atoning for right. what they've done. <laughs> right. I had never thought of that. Right. And so then the time comes that, that you get out. Yeah. You've been out now for a year and a half. Yeah, which is crazy. It seems like it's been longer. Yeah. But it really hasn't. That's amazing. Yeah. How has your outlook changed since you've been out? It's it's bizarre how different it is. Yeah. Do you see totally the world bizarre. through different eyes now? Almost, how cheesy that sounds. Yeah. Yeah. You do. Talk about the ongoing addiction. Because I think that one of the things I've learned from having friends and family members who are addicts it's life. It's a life sentence. It, it never is. goes away. Right. I have friends who say that they'll be in the middle of doing something, whatever, and suddenly it's, <laughs> well, bam, you should go get a drink or you should whatever, and it hits them out of nowhere. You right. can never fully let your guard down. Right. Do you go to meetings now? I don't. You don't? I don't. So Not when now. I was in Weber at Kiesel, I yeah. was in just, it was a, it's a basically a rehab. It was a therapeutic yeah. community. Yeah. Um, I was in treatment from 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. Wow, classes. That's amazing. And so I was really, so I wasn't doing much church. Went to church a couple times yeah. then, but I was really focused on me yeah. and what I needed to do to change. And wow, the staff up there is amazing. That's awesome. For being in jail, you didn't feel like you were in jail. Yeah. They treated you like a human being. Incredible. They were amazing people. And so I really did a lot of self, self-discovery self there. So tell us what you're doing now. So now I... Well, so I got out of prison. Yeah. I went to work for DI, Deseret Industries. How awesome is DI? Oh my gosh, I loved it. Is DI just I loved the it. greatest? <laughs> yes. Yes, oh, I loved it. I, I loved love it. DI. I loved it. Yeah. And they helped me kind of set my path towards school. What do you want to do? Where do you want to go? We'll help you. Yeah. And so I was like, oh my gosh, what do I want to do? I you're, have this so opportunity You're now. in your mid-30s kind mid-30s, of making your yeah. young 20s decisions. Yeah, a little late. Which is so cool. But isn't <laughs> but yeah, that cool? It is. Doesn't that just show you that... Those opportunities are always there? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's awesome. Yeah. So um, they asked me where, what I wanted to do. So I had to think about it. And I thought, well, I want to do something with art. I want to be creative. Yeah. And so I was thinking of going to Utah Valley University, going into art. And um, my niece's husband kind of took me under his wing. Wow. He really did. And he, he got me into, he's a dental lab technician. And he says, come up to my lab and just check it out. See if you like it. So I went up and I was like, I can see myself doing this. I kind of like this. Cool. So I went to school in Ameritech. Um, That's awesome. Got my degree in dental lab technician and got a job and I'm doing that. Now you're working as a dental lab tech. Yeah. Making teeth. <laughs> it's incredible. I'm sure 10 years ago, you would have never seen yourself with this future. No. Are you kidding? No. You know, here you <laughs> no. are now clean and with a job. And how long have you been clean? So I got arrested in, see, so it was the end of 2014. Mm. So then I don't really keep the sobriety so date. Years, I don't no. remember the dates. I just but I mean, for our audience it. to hear, I mean, you hear this whole story and how deeply entrenched you were in your addiction. It does happen. Right. It is possible. It is. It is. And it's all there. It is. For someone who might have a family member struggling with addiction, what, what message do you have for them? Patience. <laughs> 
<laughs> I love that you've brought it to one word, patience, because there's not much else they yes, can do, right? I mean, you feel so helpless. And even, I mean, even as an addict, you feel helpless because you don't know. Yeah. You don't know. Uh, well, bless you, Carrie. This has been so fascinating. <laughs> Your talk in, in state conference was one of the best I've ever heard. It It caused me, I mean, you have sort of a you have a view of the atonement and of the gospel that I can't. I haven't seen what you've seen. I haven't walked in your path. And and I I just think that, that for you to be so open and to share these things with our listeners and uh, again at the state conference and everything else is just awesome. And I think to see the path that you're on now is so exciting. Well, like, <laughs> how cool is that? <laughs> thank you. That you're moving forward. Before we get to the last question, anything else that you want to share about all this? It's been a wild journey, that's for sure. Yeah. But it's been worth it. I mean, see, I even after all that, you can say it's been worth it's it. It's been worth it. Yeah. It's been worth it. Mm, incredible. We, uh, I'm going to end uh, the interview with the question we ask all of our guests. <laughs> And it'll be interesting to hear your thought on this, which is, what does being a member of the church mean to you? Well, perspective. Yeah. It's given me a new perspective. It's been able to, to see my chaos and all my pieces that have been so broken, but to be able to see that chaos come together and, and be something beautiful, mm. that there is meaning in chaos, and that my weaknesses have become my strengths, mm. and, that, and that I believe. So. Wow. A recovering, recovering and recovered. <laughs> I like both of those words, recovered and recovering <laughs> addict, and certainly an, an imperfect human like all of us. Absolutely. But definitely you are a fighter, Carrie, and a, a pretty special child of God. Thank you for coming on and sharing your Latter-day Life with us. Thank Appreciate you for it. having me. Thanks. Incredible thanks to my friend Carrie Fryer and her beautiful story, how brave and honest she was in it, and it's just uh, incredibly moving, and I really appreciate her coming on. Uh, this week in my latter-day life, my thoughts were on addiction uh, after having spoken with, with Carrie, and it took me back to a time when I was on my mission. I really knew nothing about addiction during that time, but I had a conversation with a man who meant a whole lot to me, a very special man. And uh, he and I were talking, and we were talking about who should get baptized, and when is someone ready to be baptized? And uh, there were always those questions that came up during the mission. And he told me a story about his father, and again, this was a man who I loved and respected so much. And he was telling me about his father, and he said that uh, his, his mother had gotten baptized and his brothers and sisters, but his father while he had quit drinking, which was hard, and had quit drinking coffee and doing other things, and all that was difficult for him, he couldn't give up smoking. He said his father had begun smoking when he was 14 years old. And it was just a habit. It was an addiction. It was something he couldn't break. But he finally committed to the missionaries. He said, I'm going to get baptized. And they set a date, and the missionaries said, you have to stop smoking. And every day, they were checking in. Did you smoke today? Ah, it was only one, and it was late tonight. And, okay, I fell apart, and I had a whole pack today, and whatever. And he really struggled, up until the day of the baptism. And on the day of the baptism, the missionary said, what is happening? 
like with the smoking. Are we going to be able to baptize you? And the man said, I haven't smoked at all today. I smoked yesterday, but I haven't smoked today. It's my baptism day. I'm done. I'm never going to smoke again. I'm done. And the mission president said, yes, baptize this man. And he was baptized. And that day he did not have a single cigarette. In fact, he never, ever smoked again until the next day when he smoked again. And he felt terrible for it. And he said, okay, I know I need to stop, but I didn't smoke yesterday. I didn't smoke on my baptism day. And this went on and on. And for the rest of his life, he battled this addiction of smoking. And he never did beat it until he passed away. And he never went through the temple um, because of some of these difficulties. But boy, was he an active member of that ward. Super active. Gave lots of service. uh, Just loved unconditionally. And was an amazing member of the church who happened to have a real addiction with smoking. And when I was talking to this friend of mine, uh, my friend said, when my father would talk about smoking invariably, what he would bring up is the one day he didn't smoke. And how proud he was that on his baptism day, he didn't smoke that entire day. And sometimes we look at things in absolutes and we think, well, why can't this person just be stronger? And especially dealing with addiction, which is so insidious, as we just heard from Carrie, and so difficult. And yet his proudest moment was, I did not smoke on the day of my baptism. And every single one of us, boy, is it easy to judge. But we all have something. We all have something that we're carrying through this life. But how grateful I am for the atonement of Jesus Christ, that we can let go of those things, that my friend's father has now been able to let go of that as he's moved on to the next life. I pray that I can be as non-judgmental as our Heavenly Father expects me to be. There are a lot of people carrying around heavy, heavy, heavy burdens. These are people who need to be welcomed into our church, who need to feel welcomed into our home, whatever their addiction is, whatever they're carrying around. uh, We're called on to make their loads lighter and to not judge, but instead to love unconditionally, for that's how our Heavenly Father set it up. I'm grateful for that uh, friend of mine who shared that story with me, because I've taken it with me for uh, the past, well, 25 years or so, and uh, it's a great Great message to me, and that's what's happening this week in my Latter-day life. Thank you so much for tuning in this week and uh, staying through such an incredible, emotional, but uh, ultimately beautiful story. Uh, Next week, we've got a little bit lighter of an episode, (laughs) a little more fun, but boy, again, I'm so grateful for Carrie. And just as a reminder, if you are looking for party entertainment feel free to reach out. It's Sean at LatterdayLives.com, S-H-A-W-N at LatterdayLives.com, or for any reason, if you want to reach out to the show, we get great mail every single week. I can also be reached on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can reach out all those different ways. So until next week, when we will have a fantastic show for you, please remember, there is a great, big, beautiful world out there. So go be in it, just not of it. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 